So this week and next week we're going to finish the, the series on wholehearted living and we're going to finish it by looking over the next two weeks at a topic called how to be content and how to be satisfied. Because it seems to me that one of the great marks of being a wholehearted person is that you have inner contentment and inner satisfaction. Uh, I read a, a report that said that our generation is, is the, the richest and that's ever been alive. But when you look at indexes or measurements of satisfaction and contentment and happiness, we have like the lowest measures of happiness and contentment of any generation. So on one hand, we are the healthiest, have longer life expectancy, um, we've got more resources, more wealth, more opportunities than we've ever had, more possibilities than we've ever had, more opportunities to travel than has ever been available. But when you measure our degree of contentment and happiness, we are really, really low. And then you read these words in Philippians chapter 4, and Paul says the most incredible thing. He says in, chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then he says these amazing words. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any <clears throat> and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That Paul had come to a place where he was enjoying absolute freedom from a wrong kind of hustling and hankering and longing for the next thing that exhausts. So in other words, Paul could say, as a, an amazing visionary. So you've got this guy who is probably the most visionary person in the whole of the New Testament, apart from Jesus. So Paul is all the time thinking, um, we've planted church here, I want to plant churches where they've not been planted. He's, he's a guy who's, who's really captivated and motivated by extending the kingdom and enlarging the kingdom and seeing more and more and more of the kingdom happen. And he's a guy who's saying, with all of that vision, inside, I'm always content. In other words, Paul is saying, I'll be content, I'll succeed. If you throw me in jail, I'll be content and satisfied if I'm a millionaire. But I'll also be content and satisfied if I've got nothing, I'll be content and satisfied if people think I'm great, but I'll still be satisfied if people don't even like me. Mm -hmm. 
I'll be content and satisfied in every season, in every circumstance, in every situation. Nothing can make me respond negatively. I'm not a victim to delay. And I'm not a victim of success. It's amazing. They say that most people navigate difficulty trusting in God better than they navigate success. Sometimes when people get the thing they're longing for, sometimes their heart can switch off from loving God and devoted to God. And Paul's saying, I'm not like that at all. I'm completely satisfied in Christ when I've got everything and when I've got nothing. And this life of satisfaction and contentment is available to you and me. Because Paul is saying, I learned the secret. I learned the lesson. And over this week and next week, we're going to look at, I think, six lessons that Paul learned so that we too can, can navigate life satisfied and content. Over the summer we were having um, a special meal and often a special meal in France starts with an aperitif and Claude, Rochelle's dad, got some special drinks out and uh, he got some special whiskies out. And I, I was looking at this bottle of Jack Daniels and just turning the label towards me. And have you felt that you, you, you're looking at maybe a film or you're hearing some music or you're looking at a label on a bottle and you just feel in that moment God speaking. So I took a photograph of this label and thought, what are you saying to me through it? And it was about the process that Jack Daniel's whiskey or scotch goes through. And it goes through a four-step process. And the first step is they take this drink, this liquid, and they mellow it. And they take all the harshness out of it and they make this drink taste really smooth. And the manufacturer it has attention to every drop. And on the bottle it says, mellowed for smoothness, drop by drop. And they take every drop of it and pass it through sugar maple charcoal so that it has a particular taste. And then they put it in a very, very special barrel. It's a handcrafted barrel. And this barrel is, is, is part of the process by making this Jack Daniels have its particular flavour. And so it's matured in this barrel. And then it's tasted. And on the bottle it says, it's tasted by our masters until deemed ready. I like, the, I like the, the term, the masters. They know the taste they're looking for. They know the Jack Daniels taste they want the market to taste. And it stays in the barrel until the masters say it's ready. And then after it's been um, deemed ready, it's released and awarded because now it has this quality and distinction that they were after all along. And I was thinking about that and thinking about how God is, sees us as so precious and so loves us and is so, so interested in our inner world and our heart. He's interested in our 
contentment and satisfaction in him more than he's interested in us just getting a job done. And he lovingly, by process, drop by drop, is flavouring us as it passes through, as it were, not maple charcoal, but it passes through the character of the Holy Spirit and his character rubs off on us of his joy and his gentleness and his patience and his self-control so that the reality that we are already in Christ becomes our distinct flavour. And that's what he's doing. We're already the beloved. We're already loved. He already thinks we've got a beautiful flavour. And he wants the world to taste us. And part of the flavour of the kingdom is being people who are content and satisfied inside. And so the master, we're in the barrel of Christ and he's lovingly flavouring us so that the world can taste a people who are satisfied and content who are not victims of delay, who are not victims of success, people who can't be made to respond negatively because they have an internal culture, an internal belief system that causes them, whatever's going on on the outside, to be satisfied and content. Because it's who you are that's the most important thing. Who you are is what you release. It's a wonderful thing that to change the world, we just become the flavour of heaven. And God is not in a rush. He wants that flavour to be right and he's committed to it. So Paul in these verses in Philippians, he says, I have learnt the secret of being content in every situation. I've learned the secret. I've learned the recipe. Is another way of saying it. I know the recipe. I've learned something. In other words, Paul is saying, it's not that my natural disposition was I'm a satisfied and content person. Seems the glimpses we get of him he's passionate when he believes he needs to persecute the church he, he is in the best school he's being trained by one of the great um, pharisaical leaders Gamaliel he's, he, he, he's a guy who he says in terms of the law I got it all right I, I did everything he, he, I don't know I'm not quite sure if his natural disposition was, I'm a content and satisfied people. He seems to be striving for perfection. And so he's not saying in those verses, I learned implies, it wasn't my personality that I was satisfied and content. And that phrase, I learned, also gives us the, 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 the idea that it wasn't that one day he received a spiritual gift called contentment. You know, I, I, I wish it said, I, I magically got zapped into a disposition 
of being satisfied. <laughs> I wish it said that. And I wish it just said, I came forward at a meeting and I, I was hankering after everything and I was exhausted and chasing and hustling and driven and, and then I stepped into a meeting and someone prayed and I got the gift of contentment and I walked out and nothing ever touched me ever again. He says, I learned the secret or I went to the school of contentment and satisfaction or the father trained me to sort of use Hebrew 12 language. I went to God's gymnasium and he built some muscles in me. And now I, I've got the, the gift of contentment. I've got the disposition of contentment. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. And so it's not a personality trait. It's not something we're going to get magically zapped into. But it is something every one of us can have if we enrolled in the school, as it were. Because he's working on us drop by drop. But Paul says, I learned it. It was not something that happened to me. There was a relationship, a cooperation of um, me and God together. And so we're going to look at some lessons. And that was the first one, that it wasn't a personality trait but it's God's school and God's gymnasium. So you can look at the story of Paul and you can see that sometimes he learned this satisfaction and this contentment through sometimes what was a very difficult, challenging and hard process. He talks about, I was, I've been in prison, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been rejected, I've had blocked goals. I've had pressure of all the churches. I've known delay. And so, the school that Paul's talking about sometimes involves things that are incredibly challenging and difficult. And in one verse, which is one of my favourite verses in the whole of the Bible, actually, in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says... I don't want you to be unaware of what happened to us in Asia. We, he talks about we went through such pressure and such hardship, I felt like I had the sentence of death. And some people have even said it was so difficult in the province of Asia that he almost felt suicidal. I felt the sentence of death. I, I wanted to get out from this. And then he says the most amazing words. This happened so that we wouldn't depend on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So when Paul writes in... Um, Romans chapter 8, 28, God works everything together for good. He uses everything, that God uses everything and wastes nothing. The Apostle Paul wasn't writing from the position of theory. He's saying, I've learned this. I went to a school where 
God wastes nothing, uses everything, redeems everything, and shapes me drop by drop so I taste more like Christ through everything. Even that sometimes the things we went through, the trials of various kinds that James talks about, pressurised us even to the point where I felt the sentence of death. But this happened, so I wouldn't rely, trust, depend on myself, but on God who raises the dead. But sometimes we can get so caught up with the question, what's the source of this challenge, that we miss the lesson that's contained within the challenge. Amen. And I, I personally don't believe that sickness is from God, okay? I don't. I don't see that with Jesus. Someone said, God didn't send sickness to teach us a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach sickness a lesson. Okay? I just don't, I don't have that conviction. Other people have a different conviction. I don't believe God gives sickness. But I do believe that God can use everything and redeem everything and he can use everything to be like that charcoal process drop by drop we get flavoured into becoming more like Christ and I believe we can hold those two things at the same time he's a miracle working God he can heal me and he can redeem this and use everything and waste nothing to, to shape me and form Christ in me because it's just on the side, it's interesting that sometimes people who say, I believe sickness is from God, will still go to the doctor, but they won't get prayer. So they'll go to the doctor to get medicine, and at the same time say this sickness is from God. Well, you can't have it both ways. Just don't believe it's from God. So I think we can oppose sickness with absolute courage and confidence. So Paul says that he uses everything. Joseph, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, says in Psalm 105.19 that God tested Joseph and got him ready to rule. He's always getting us ready. He's always preparing us. He's always doing great things in the barrel. I'm just going to change that. And so, lesson two then, so if lesson one is, it's not a personality, it's not going to get, you're not going to get zapped into it, but you're going to go to the school of contentment, so that everything in your life right now, James says, rejoice in the various trials, because it's actually causing you to be upgraded, so that you are mature and lacking nothing. So I think then we can look to God for a breakthrough, but at the same time, be saying, I'm looking for you to redeem this. I'm looking for you to upgrade my faith. I'm looking for you to produce um, satisfaction and contentment within my heart through this. And the second lesson is this, is that satisfaction and contentment is an inside job. Uh, heard as read in the summer, uh, a, a famous writer saying, my Swiss cheese soul 
cannot be filled from the outside in. It has to be filled from the inside out. You know Swiss cheese, that cheese that seems to taste delicious because of all the holes in the cheese. I don't really understand that. Maybe it's the flavour gets all the way through. There's something about the texture of it. It's lots of holes. And the writer is saying, you know what, our souls can look like Swiss cheese. (laughs) And we try desperately to fill it with so many different things. But our Swiss cheese soul can only be filled on the inside and then it touches the outside. So the level of satisfaction and contentment that we enjoy is dependent upon what we believe is the source of contentment. That's why our society is the richest, most affluent, travelling, more opportunities than ever have been on the planet in the West right now. And we are the most dissatisfied and discontented generation that's ever been alive. Because the, cu- the current belief is something outside is going to change my inside. Some people even would prefer never to achieve a goal because the pursuit of the goal gives them more pleasure than they, re- they, they realise. If I ever achieved it, it won't satisfy. So I live in the pursuit of something that I never really want to reach because I know it will disappoint me. Some of the most depressed people are the people in art, creativity, media who always dreamt of reaching it and then get there and realise my Swiss cheese soul is no more filled than it was on the journey up. And they realise, where do you go after that? I've got everything I ever dreamt of and it's still not enough. So if we believe that contentment and satisfaction is from the outside in, we live perpetually with an argument with life. Always feeling disappointed, irritated, frustrated. We... If we feel that we see our prize, whatever it is, and then we see something that is blocking us to our prize, then we become grumpy, complaining, fault-finding, irritated and frustrated. Because I want that, and this is between me and that, and we become angry because my satisfaction in our belief system is being blocked or hindered by something on the outside. Paul says, I learned I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Through him, through Christ, through a relationship with Jesus. He's saying... I'm enjoying a dynamic of connection and intimacy with Jesus that is actually satisfying my soul so that delay or success or prison or beating or hardship or plenty or not enough make no difference to the inner disposition of my heart. And I think at the same time he was moved by what went right around him. We read earlier in Philippians when one of his colleagues and friends looked like he was going to die and he was okay and got healed and he got better. He says, oh, I don't think I could have endured that. He felt things. 
it's not that he was a stoic Vulcan from Star Trek where he was un, un, unmoved by anything. He just says, I've learned that I can manage my inner world, that I can navigate life without being controlled, that I don't ebb and flow depending on what's going on around me. I've tapped into Christ. I've tapped into the satisfaction and the resources that's in him. I can be a visionary leader wanting to get the churches planted in Spain. But if I'm blocked and I'm in prison, I can even see how that can be of benefit to furthering the gospel, he says earlier in Philippians. It's an incredible culture that he has in his heart. The Christ who strengthens us. So again, this isn't something we do for God. This is something God does in us first and then through us. It's a flavour that comes through us because of the work of God. It's that coming to him when we feel frustrated or irritated or angry that our goal is feeling blocked and we're not quite getting the prize we want. And we come to him and say, satisfy my soul, Holy Spirit. Meet me, quench my thirst. Give me living water. I've got to touch and connect to you. It says, it was through Christ, it was through relationship with Christ, it was through connection with Christ, it was him who did it, it was a strength that flowed from him to me. He says, that's how really I could endure a shipwreck, that's how I could endure imprisonment, or being beaten, or liked, or hated, or judged, or celebrated, or delay, or success, he could do it all because of a relationship with Christ. And that's the invitation of Christianity. That the God who created the universe always wanted us and he wants to satisfy our soul. That he, he wants to come and live within us. And for the believer, he already does live within you. And he wants to quench your thirst and satisfy your hunger. He really does want to be that bread to you that takes away discontentment and satisfies you. He really does want to be that water that quenches your thirst when you feel you're walking through a desert. He wants you to have an ecosystem, an inner culture that's unique to the world. <coughs> he wants to be that for you. Not, not the theory of it, but the reality of it. He wants to be experientially real to you so that he satisfies your deepest longings and deepest wants. So that wherever you are and whatever's going on around you, you're deeply, deeply content and you're deeply, deeply satisfied and that when the world tastes you when all that work has been done in this relationship in this barrel as it were with Christ and that flavour is coming out of deep contentment the world around us will say where do you get that from? where does that come from? and the final one I want to look at today is lesson three that deep contentment and satisfaction in Christ does not mean renouncing other dreams that you have. It just means that you don't expect those other dreams to do what they can't do. That's the... That's the because I don't know if you've ever ever been in moments like this with God where you just want him so badly 
and that you feel that to express your longing for him, you, you, you feel that you have to renounce and deny every part of you or every other dream that God has placed in you. Has anybody else had those moments where you feel, I've got, I'm making an artificial choice here? You don't call it an artificial choice. The real choice is, is about, I know that deep satisfaction and deep heart, soul contentment has only one source, and that is Him. And so I'm not going to demand my circumstances or my dreams or my legitimate longings to do what they can't do. So the single person can love Christ, be satisfied by Christ, and still long to be married. The parents want children can still be all out satisfied by Christ and still have a desire that we would like children. That the person at work can still love their job and work hard on their job and would like to be promoted and have new opportunities and yet they're not looking for the promotion and the new opportunities to fill their Swiss cheese soul because that's being done already through a rich and beautiful relationship with Christ but I can still have that dream and that goal or that ambition and I can still have him but all things are ours to enjoy but Paul said I'm not going to be mastered or I'm not going to be enslaved by anything So contentment and satisfaction this week to land it is birthed in our thoughts about Christ. That if we believe that Christ isn't all satisfying and can't meet the needs of our Swiss cheese soul, then we'll live our lives perpetually hankering after something else that we believe will living with that tension of always longing and constantly being dissatisfied, getting, being disappointed, going again for the getting, finding the next new whatever. Satisfaction starts in our views of Christ. That when by faith we recognise that he has everything I need for my soul to be quenched and my hunger to be satisfied, I go looking to him for what he can give. I look in his word that his words would be like honey and giving a rich taste. I give myself to times of worship because I connect to him and I know he can feed my soul. That everything I'm doing is to draw on his bounty, his strength, his resources. I'm going to read this declaration over you. It says, Today I must watch my thoughts, for they become my words. Yeah? I must watch over my words, because they become my actions. I watch my actions, that, because they become my habits. I watch my habits because they become my character. 
I watch over my character because it becomes my destiny. So the starting point of everything is what Paul says earlier on when he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So everything is really quite simple in, in the Christian faith. The only thing we really need to start with is our thoughts. That what is true? What's the reality? What's authentic? What's exact? Is that Jesus Christ can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. Like nothing or nobody else can. And all I need is that one thought to explore. To explore Christ. His excellence, his magnificence, to explore the fact that he is pure and unmixed and unblended and uncontaminated, that he is solid, he's absolute and perfect, that he's lovely, that he's attractive and he's supreme and he's so appealing, he's praiseworthy, he's exceptional, Jesus is excellent, he's outstanding, he's magnificent. He's wonderful, he's perfect, he's first-rate, he's supreme, he's worthy. He's praiseworthy and commendable, he's honourable and worthy of all of my affection and all of my thoughts. And that's all we really give ourselves to. Because if I'm thinking those kind of thoughts about him, then the words that are going to come out of my mouth are going to begin to shape my actions and my habits and my character and my destiny. But all I'm beginning with is a worshipping mindset. I'm not making artificial choices between dreams and longings and things I want to see. I'm just saying they will not do what they can't do, but he will do what he promised to do. I'm going to feast on him. I'm going to be satisfied with him. I'm going to drink deep of him. And sometimes when we make that decision, do you remember those spinning tops that rotate really fast? And you try to stop them, to make them rotate in another direction. And you feel the resistance. And it, 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 it takes a lot of push on the spinning top to make it stop so you can make it go in a new direction. Sometimes that's like that with having a new thought. We've been told by our culture and society, there's something missing in your life. There's something wrong with you. There's something you haven't got that you need to have in order for your Swiss cheese soul to be satisfied. And we're putting a finger on the spinning top and saying, actually, yeah, all those things are good and many of them are legitimate and they're real needs and they're real wants, but they're not going to do for my soul what he can do for my soul. So I'm putting my finger on the spinning top, I'm creating some new thoughts and I'm going to have some new actions that are to dig deep into how commendable and beautiful and satisfying he is.